numbers. We live by numbers. We track and count and measure everything. And sometimes we think the only numbers that really matter are the big ones. But it's the single digits that make the difference. The Bible says that heaven rejoices with the number one. Yeah, heaven rejoices each time even one person comes to know Jesus. We pastors dream about big numbers, and we should. But a daily focus on one meaningful interaction for Christ, that's the true difference maker. One friend, one family member, one co-worker, one person at a time. We want to see God move in our nation like we have never seen before. But it all starts with one. Well, we're so glad you're here today. Uh, You are an important one of our congregation today. Uh, If you are a first-time guest, there's a Next Step card in front of you. We'd love for you sometime during the sermon today to fill that out. When you leave, I'll be at the Welcome Center down this hallway. We'd love for you to give it to me or one of the other pastors who are here. We're going to continue our series today entitled, Who's Your One? Uh, As disciples and followers of Jesus, we're called to share the good news with, with, with people around us. And my hope for this series is that every believer in this room will think of at least one person who you know is either not a believer or who has yet to publicly profess their faith in Christ. And I'm asking you to do three things in particular with your one. I'm asking you to pray for your one. I, I, I want you to spend significant time praying and pleading with God to speak to that person's heart to help you. We've provided a prayer guide for you. Some of you have already started that prayer guide where you're praying for your one. If you have not, there are copies of it on the tables as you leave the sanctuary. Uh, there are tables in the hallway as well. We encourage you to pray for, for the next 30 days. If you've not picked your one yet, Today, when you pick your one, I encourage you to start tomorrow praying uh, that God would would speak to their life. Then I encourage every person here to invite your one, either into your home or to church with you. I'm convinced that being around joy-filled Christians who have real hope and who know peace is an effective tool in helping people uh, come come to faith. And then finally, I ask you to get to the place where you share the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for your sin, that he rose from the dead on the third day, and that every person who puts faith in him can have and will have everlasting life. And we encourage you to to share uh, with your one. And so for the next 30 days, pray for, invite, and share with your one. And I want to uh, ask you to do one other thing. Uh, I'm encouraging every person here to come to the board that will be in one of our entryways. And when you pick your one, like I did, you put your one's initials on the board in black. When you get to the place where you have invited your one either into your home or to church, circle it with green. And then when you are able to share the gospel with them, circle it in red. Thus far, on all of our boards, we have about 120 names. Uh, I I hope that we will have 750 people who are praying for their one, at least praying for their one, who invite their one and who share the gospel with 
with their one. Over and over this week, I've heard people who've already experienced God's working in this. Uh, they, they talked about encounters they've had with people they're praying for. Uh, one of our ladies in our church came to me and said, Pastor, I picked this one person. I don't see them a lot, but that day, after I left church, I ran into them, and we had a five-minute conversation. Another person said, Pastor, I got an email from my one just out of the blue, and they unloaded their story on me and gave me opportunity to, to speak into their life. Another person said, I was out at the, a, a restaurant eating, and the person that I started praying for, I saw them at the restaurant. I'm convinced that God loves for you to share his good news. And if you're committed to sharing that good news, he's going to give you opportunities to do that. God will honor the prayers of his people. Now, we're going to continue today talking about your one. And so turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. And uh, we're going to pick up in verse, uh, I think, around 29. Last week, we looked at a really familiar passage. Last week, we... we looked at the passage where Jesus called his first disciples, and it was a story of four men who were casting their nets into the sea. Jesus walks along and says, follow me. And the four men immediately start to follow Jesus as their master and Lord. The story was about Simon Peter and Andrew, James and John. Now, if you read the New Testament, there are three stories in particular about Simon Peter uh, who, uh, who... who feels this calling of God on his life. And there are three stories that, that talk a little bit about his early encounters with him. Some who do not believe the Bible have suggested that these encounters are one encounter with mixed up details. Uh, I, I, I want to tell you, I believe the Bible is God's infallible, inspired, inerrant word of God. And when we are confused about how details fit together, it's not in the makeup of the Bible, it's in the makeup of the man. God's Bible is holy and perfect. But when I hear them talking about the, the stories of Simon Peter's call, and they say it's the same call, just mixed up details, it's obvious to me they haven't read their Bible. Because when I read this, these these three encounters, obviously, in my mind, each describe a different event in Peter's life. Now, the passage we looked at last week in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, describes the call of Andrew and Peter as God calls them to be fishers of men. Uh, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me and I'll use you to bring people to God. Follow me and I have a task. Now, I, I, I want us to read that passage again, and, and I'm going to be very transparent. There is a part of this passage that really puzzles me. We didn't talk about it much last week, but we'll spend a little time today. Verse 18. As he, Jesus, was walking uh, along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the sea since they were fishermen. And he called out to them, follow me, and I'll make you fish for people. And the the puzzling verse is the next one. What's it say? Immediately, they left their nets and they followed him. Immediately, they left their security. Immediately. They left their paycheck. Immediately, they left their family 
and all they've ever known immediately. Uh, when you read that, that that's... That, that's hard to understand because I've always pictured this encounter in, in, in Matthew as the first time that they'd ever met Jesus. But, and if that's the case, they make this quick, rash, with apparently very little information, decision to follow. I mean, it's kind of like teenagers, you know. They say, hey, you want to do something? Yeah, what do you want to do? I don't know. Let's just get in and go and do it. It seems kind of like a pretty immature decision. But this wasn't the first time they met Jesus. Uh, maybe he had met them several times, but I know they had met him at least once because John one thirty five through uh, verse forty two described this earlier meeting that they have with him. Let's let's dig into that passage. If you have your Bibles, follow along in John chapter one verse twenty nine. It says, the next day John, not John the apostle, not John the elder of the church, but John the Baptist. The next day John uh, was, was preaching. And if you remember last week, we talked about how his sermons were on Jesus' playlist. Uh, and, and he was his favorite preacher. And Jesus goes out to meet John. And John sees Jesus coming and he says, behold the Lamb of God. Here he is, the... The, the, the Lamb of God, and he's foreshadowing the cross of Jesus when he says the Lamb of God because Jesus is going to be the sacrificial Lamb who will die for, for man's sins. Now, a lot of modern preachers forget this. We treat Jesus like he is our friend to make us healthy. Or we treat Jesus like he came to make us wealthy. Or we treat Jesus like he he, he came to... Keep the boogeyman away. But Jesus came to take away the sin of the world. That's why Jesus came. And verse 30 says that, that John sees Jesus and says, This is the one I told you about. That after me comes a man who has surpassed me in every way. And you can sense the anticipation in John. This is the one I've been telling you about. He's greater than me. When you read about John the Baptist in the New Testament, humility oozes from him. Every page you have this, this incredibly humble guy, but when Jesus shows up, he has reason to be humble because he existed before him. John the Baptist was given incredible insight that, that Jesus is, is different than him. He's unique uh, not only in his character, but he's unique in his makeup because he didn't have a set beginning. He existed from before time began. Some people try to say that the Bible never teaches that Jesus is God. Again, they've never read the Bible. John boldly proclaims, he existed before me, even though the Bible says that Jesus was born physically after John, because Jesus was God in flesh appearing. Verse 31, he says, I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel. I didn't have all the secrets of what was going down, but I knew my purpose was to come and proclaim and make a way for the coming Lord. Verse 32, he talks about a day with his disciples when he was baptizing. And he says, one day Jesus came. And John testified to his disciples, I watched as the Spirit descended from heaven on him like a dove, and it rested on him. Verse 33 says, I, I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, 
the one you see the Spirit descend and rest on, that's the one. That's the one who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen and testified that he is the Son of God. He tells his disciples this, and, and, and verse 35 tells us that, that he's standing there talking to two of his disciples. We're going to learn from the context that one of those disciples is Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Uh, verse 36 John the Baptist sees Jesus passing by, and he says, Look, the Lamb of God! And Andrew says, See you, John. If he's the Lamb of God, I'm going to follow him and not you. And so the two disciples immediately followed Jesus. The Scripture says in verse 38, when Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, What are you looking for? And, and, and they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Verse 39, he says, come and you'll see. This is so typical of Jesus. I like details. Some people like surprises. I like what, when, where, who, how, how much. (laughs) I like details. Jesus doesn't give any details. He just says, come, follow me. And the Bible says they went with him and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. And it was about 10 in the morning and apparently they stay until the next day because uh, the... We're told that Jesus leaves uh, the next morning, but, but it wouldn't be long before he sees them again and he calls out to them and says, Hey guys, remember me? Come follow me and I'll make you fish for people. So it, that, that passage, when I think about them leaving their nets and their business and their families and everything they knew, that passage makes a lot more sense to me because they have relationship with Jesus. Because Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist, when John said Jesus was the Messiah, Andrew took it seriously. Because he, because he trusted John. When Andrew invited his brother Simon to come meet Jesus, what's Simon do? He goes. Why? Because he trusts him. Notice what the next verse says. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and, and followed, uh, followed Jesus. And he goes and finds his brother Simon and he tells them, well, we found him. We've been praying for, we've been talking about, we've been studying the scriptures about the Messiah. We, we found him. And the Bible says that he brought Simon Peter to, to the Lord. Simon goes because he trusts his brother. They spend time with Jesus in his home. And when Jesus calls them to join him while they're fishing, they follow because they trust Jesus. So when they leave everything, they're not just leaving on a whim. It's a result of trusting relationships. And when I think about that, why people follow Jesus, I figured out the key to evangelism. It's three things. You want to know what the key to evangelism is? It's three things. It's relationships, relationships, relationships. That's the key to evangelism. If where you know people and people trust you, we see it in the next passage, verse 43. The next day he decided to leave for Galilee, and Jesus found Philip, and he told him, follow me. And what does Philip do? He, he's from the hometown of, of Andrew and Peter, and he goes and he finds Nathaniel. And he tells him, we found the one that Moses talked about, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. It's not just here, but it's throughout the New Testament. The primary means through which the gospel spreads 
is personal network. That is always how the gospel spreads. Zacchaeus had his co-workers to dinner. Matthew, the tax collector, threw a party for his friends, both of them. You know, uh, the woman at the well told her neighbors. Uh, the Philippian jailer shared with his family. Eunice and Lois share with their son Timothy. Cornelius shares with his household and his servants. That is how the gospel spread in the New Testament. People shared with people they were connected with. We call this relationship evangelism. Now, that's a term that's used a lot in preacher circles, maybe not so much in your circles, but in preacher circles, we use the term relationship evangelism a lot. And if you Google it, you're going to find it used in ways that I'm not a fan of, so let me clarify. When I talk about relationship evangelism, I'm not talking about friendship with an agenda. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm not saying go out and pretend like you like people so you can share Jesus with with them. And I'm not telling you to be friends with people until you see if they're going to be a Christian or not and then dump them. I'm not suggesting you start inviting a guy to go play golf regularly with you until you share Jesus with him and then never invite him again. That's how some people use the term. Hey, start friendships, and if it doesn't pan out to where you can share Jesus, move on. I I think that's phony uh, and unloving. Christians should be real friends with people who are Christians and real friends with people who are not. That's who we're called to be. I also do not believe that relationship evangelism is simply lifestyle evangelism. Uh, And and it's often confused with with it. Lifestyle evangelism is you live in such a way that people see what you're doing and and they just want to know more. This is championed by St. Francis of Assisi who said, Preach the gospel at all times and, if necessary, use words. Y'all have heard that. Uh, I understand, I think, the heart of the statement, but I know how badly that statement is abused. The gospel always must be communicated through writing, through verbal communication, uh, through, through, through print. Somehow the gospel must be told, shared. Because it is a story of a Savior who died and rose from the dead. It is not a story about a good neighbor. It's a story about a sacrificial lamb. It's not just a story about, hey, treat people well and life goes good. It is a story about a Savior. And so we must communicate those words. In the late 1990s and in the early 2000s, this kind of morphed where we we started saying, hey, we'll do really good things for people and surprise them, and then they'll ask. We called that like uh, uh, random acts of kindness, servant evangelism. You remember that movement? Uh, And and people would do all kinds of crazy things, and my church did them, and we had such a blast doing them. You know, we would go out and pump gas for Jesus, and people why are you doing this for me? Because we love you, and you do that now for somebody? Can you? (laughs) Times have changed just a little bit. You know, we would wash cars and we wouldn't take any payment. We wouldn't take any donation. Why are you doing it? Because we love Jesus. And we would tell the story. You know, and random acts of kindness used to really surprise people, but they've kind of become the normal. You know, I mean, even one of my favorite sports radio shows the other day, they have random act of kindness day where they challenge their audience to go out and do nice things for people. And, that, and that's all great. You know, like you go through McDonald's and you pay for the person behind you. I'll never forget about 10 years ago, I was in Owensboro. I was at the Big Dipper. 
Does anybody know where the Big Dipper is in Owensboro? There you go. Ice cream. Lots of ice cream. It was a big soft serve, but they called it the Big Dipper. But anyhow, the uh, I was at the Big Dipper, and I was ordering an ice cream. If you go through Owensboro, you either buy Moonlight or Big Dipper, depending on how much money you have. I didn't have enough to go to Moonlight, so I thought I'd get an ice cream. I was going through the drive through at the Big Dipper, and the person in front of me had been at the window for a little bit. And the person at the front of me, they, they turned around at me and waved like this. And I waved back. And the cashier looked at me and with kind of a, a puzzled look and went. So I went. And all I was thinking is I should have ordered more. <laughs> I pull up and they tell me the person behind you said you were paying for theirs. <laughs> that is not how servant evangelism was supposed to work, by the way. I'm a fan of doing nice things and kind things, but I want you to understand evangelism is more than just doing nice things. It's telling the story of Jesus. So when we talk about relationship evangelism, here's what I mean. We're sharing the message of Jesus with the people who are in our network. We're sharing the message of Jesus with people that we have relationships with. With a friend, with a family member, with the person in the cubicle next to you with the person who serves on the board uh, with you, the person who sits in your math class, the person who, who is your neighbor. It's, it's sharing the gospel. And this is what Hoosier One's all about. If relationships are the primary vehicle for the gospel, we should leverage our relationships for the gospel. And the reason we should do that is relationships give you credibility. Your friend trusts you. They trust your ideas, even if they don't agree with you. And you've built respect in your relationship. And you need to take that opportunity to share what is foundational in your life. And this is key for two reasons. Number one, they're much more likely to believe you than a stranger. You might say, well, well, you know, there's all kinds of preachers down the road and preachers on TV. They don't know those preachers on TV. They don't necessarily trust those preachers on TV but they do know you, and they've watched you. You have credibility. Share. A second reason is, is I just alluded to, is let's face it. The church doesn't have the reputation it once had. I mean, we, we, we just have to acknowledge that. I mean, with all the scandals... It went from affairs to stealing money to begging for jet planes to molesting kids. There's a lot of people who don't believe our message who are not going to listen to it by simply saying, well, the church said. They need a credible voice who says, no, 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 no. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Listen, there's some bad stuff that has gone on in the church. And there's some bad people who have led churches. And there are, are, are some mistakes that churches have and will continue to make. But that does not take away from our message because our good news is not that we have a cool group of friends that we meet with. Our good news is that we have a God who loves us so much that he broke into our world and he gave his son for our sin and he rose from the dead. That's our good news. And you've got credibility 
Do we need each other? Yeah, we need each other. Does the Bible still command us to get together? Absolutely, the Bible commands us to get together. But I want you to understand, the people out there don't necessarily trust the people in here. But they do trust the people in their network who they see every day. And you have access. You have access to your network's lives that other people don't have. You've got access to hearing their needs, their hopes, their desires, and their struggles. And they call on you when life throws them a curveball. They, they might share with you how they face financial ruin. They might share with you how they're headed toward divorce. And you have access to when they start talking about a spiritual thirst. And we must use this access to tell people that Christ meets the needs of our heart. And I'm glad he's with me when the stock market goes down. I am glad that I've got treasure in heaven. I, I value him when, when people say, I didn't like your sermon today, preacher. I'm glad it's his opinion that really matters and not other people's. I'm glad when I'm standing at the casket of a friend or a loved one that he has said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. And he's given me hope that doesn't diminish. I want to be a credible witness to my friends because I want them to have what I got. And I have opportunity if they're in my network. You also have visibility. Over time, people can see what defines your life. They see your interests, your hobbies, your choices, how you respond to circumstances. P people in your network know if your faith is real or not, or if it's just a part of your routine. They know. We come to church, and we're all doing fine. We come to church, and we're all smiling and dressed up, and we all believe on Sunday. People in your network know if you take it home with you. They absolutely know. Now, that's a double-edged sword because, oh my goodness, on my worst days. But they also see when you hang in there when life is hard. And they see when you love when people mistreat you. And they see when you're faithful when you're overlooked. They see. You're visible. And then, just because I wanted it to rhyme... You've got speakability. If you're a trusted friend, you've earned the right to speak freely about lots of issues. And guys, you need to speak freely about faith. I guess what I'm saying is that relationship gives you passport. And if you travel into your friends' lives, make sure you take Jesus. Some people are reluctant to share because they don't think they have influence on their networks. You absolutely do. You absolutely have influence. Don't waste it. Don't waste your influence. Uh, I've got my slides out of order here, but the one you're waiting on, you OCD note-takers, you have influence. Don't waste it, okay? You have lots of influence. You have influence in your neighborhood. You have influence uh, at, at work. But most obviously, you have influence in your family. Mother's Day reminds me of the key role that parents play in a child's well-being. Parents are the primary influences of the children. And that's the way God designed it. The first relationship we're responsible for is the one in our home. Train up the child in the way you should go. Fathers, bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And this is 
uh, how God has designed it from the foundation of time. All the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and all your might. And these words I've commanded you, and they should be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. My youngest daughter graduates from high school in less than two weeks. These verses used to seem so instructive to me. And now sometimes they bring guilt. I talked about the gospel with my children. I shared Jesus with both of my children in our home, and they both prayed to receive Jesus Christ, one in our living room and one in our bedroom. I baptized both of my children, and they've heard lots of sermons from their dad. But as they got older, I found myself wasting a lot of influence time. I know every I know a whole lot about every one of my daughter's volleyball teams. We can strategize and plan and think about. We can talk about the game. Talk. But There were times that I look back on now that I wish I'd have talked more about forgiveness than about sports, about trusting God more than about getting your homework. You know, I, I hope you don't fall into that trap. Because I'm worried that we're making great soccer stars out of third graders. But we may be making shallow disciples. Prioritize your influence. Prioritize the sharing of the gospel in your relationships. Use the times driving to games and recitals. It's okay to talk about the game, that's fine. But teach them the value of walking with Jesus. In other relationships, we actively look for we should actively look for opportunities to share, and I challenge you to accept responsibility for your network. Who's the one who you'll take responsibility for? And I know there's common fears, and I'm going to wrap up pretty quickly, but I want you to hear these because you've got to hear them, because I, I can almost hear you saying. Preacher, you know, if I talk to people about Jesus, then I'll damage the relationship. I, I, I hear you, and you might. Uh, at full transparency, a man came to me this week and said, Pastor, I shared with my one, and he was highly offended. Uh, we often couch this concern that if I share, I'll damage the relationship with 
worrying about other people's feelings, but most of the time it's worried about our fun. We like the relationship. Some would say, I think my battery's going dead. Turn me off there, Derek, and I'll turn this on. Some would say that we've been friends so long, and I haven't shared. I don't know if I can, and this is real for a lot of folks because there's just, like, embarrassment. You know, I'm, I should have shared. I should have told them about the gospel. Um, some people say, well, they know my weaknesses. Uh, the reality is they probably do. And these and other fears can keep us from sharing our faith. But I'm asking you to share Jesus through your relationships because Jesus commanded you to be a fisher of men and to bring people to him. And I want to give you three takeaways today that I think will answer those fears. Number one is everybody's eternity hinges on the gospel. We're going to talk about this more next week. But people are going to spend eternity based on what they do with Jesus. That's what our faith teaches us. And you might be here and you say, I don't believe that. At the end of the day, you're an individual and you have the right to believe what you want to believe, but you are not following Christian teaching if you believe that. Christian teaching believes that the only way that a person spends eternity with God is through a relationship with Christ, period. Two, when you share Jesus with friends, I believe you're going to experience more gratitude than attitude. There are stories of people who will push you away, and I have had the door slammed in my face, but I've I've found when I have relationship with people, 99% of the time, my relationship survives me sharing. In fact, most of the time, my relationship deepens because I share. My one that I've been praying for, Monday, God let me have my first conversation with my one. We weren't able to get to the gospel. Uh, It was a work setting, and so it was pretty tough to get to the gospel. But I asked, can I spend 30 minutes hearing your story and telling you what I believe about Jesus? You know what they said? I'd love that. I would love that. For those of you who are ashamed because you haven't always lived your faith, maybe you're not even living it now to the best of your ability, I just want to tell you you're the perfect one to share. You're the best one to share. You can talk about the mercy that God has showed you through the death of Jesus on the cross. You can tell of the love that he has for you, even though you are a sinner and still sometimes fall so short of what he wants. You can tell of the hope that you have in heaven, even though you don't deserve God's free gift. Guys, I want to leave you with this. It's okay for you to share, even if you're not perfect, because our message is not your goodness. It's grace. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus. We're not sharing religion. We're sharing him. And I pray you'll share with your one. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to share your word today. God, I pray that you would Help us to be faithful to share with our one. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
We're going to have a time of invitation. Uh, if you're not from a Baptist church or have never been in a Baptist church, we kind of believe that if we're going to talk this much about Jesus, we ought to give people the opportunity to respond to him. Uh, and you're welcome to respond to him today. If you've never started a relationship with Jesus, here's how it happened in my life. When I was about 12 years old, I was sitting about five rows back, and God spoke to my heart. And a little boy sitting by himself who had sat there for two years clearly felt God say, if you want to have new life in Jesus, come. I went forward, and on the front pew, I gave my heart and life to Jesus. Maybe today you'd like to do that. Maybe you're here today, and you want to follow the Lord in baptism. We'd be glad to talk to you about that. Or you would like to be a member of our church. We would be glad to receive you and start that process with you today. But if God speaks to you, you can come. Maybe you want to come and pray for your one. You're welcome to do that as well. As we stand together and sing, won't you come?